Hey, welcome to the Unchurched Podcast, where your hosts, Michael and Sean, discuss issues of church, life, and religion. No subject is off limits, and our honesty and humor drives our discussion. We welcome you to sit in on the conversation and laugh with us as we challenge serious things. So pour your drink, kick your feet up, and let's get started with the show. Sean Dizzle is not here, but Mikey Hizzle is here, and I wanted to come on and uh, just do a quick little uh, rant, if you will, in honor of Juneteenth. So my wife asked me if, uh, you know, if we were going to celebrate, how we're going to celebrate, and if I've ever celebrated um, Juneteenth, and... Of course, the answer is eh, not really. I haven't really celebrated it um, in my family. I mean, we've talked about it. We've discussed it. We've learned about it in school as kids. Um, But I don't know. In Detroit, it never really has taken off as a holiday. Uh, Certainly not necessarily uh, nationally recognized as a holiday. But I know there's plenty of black people out there that uh, do celebrate it as a holiday, and it's a very cool thing. Um, and and if you happen to have some celebrations going on uh, in your neck of the woods, wherever you are, um, I salute you. And I, I think this year, you know, maybe we'll do a little bit more than just talk about it, and and maybe we will do a little bit of a celebration given the. Um, the current climate that we're in, you know, um, I, I I said in the last podcast or the one before last that I really want to stop talking about all the shit that's going on and yet feel like I can't stop talking about it because it still needs to be said and things still need to be heard until change happens. And obviously this is the unchurched podcast. So we are bent as Christian and um, being unchurched. Um, and we're going to get back to that. We are going to get back to that uh, really soon. Um, as you know, as soon as I can work this out of my system for <laughs> until the next time this shit happens. Um, so anyway, uh, I, I just wanted to come on and, and talk about Juneteenth. I won't take too much time, uh, but uh, I don't know. Maybe it's interesting to you. Maybe you, you know, maybe it comes up on your Apple calendar and and you see, oh, Juneteenth is tomorrow or is today. You know, what is it? Uh, I, I just wanted to come on and, and put my two cents in and give you my viewpoint on things and, and what it really means, what it means to me and what history says. So that's what this episode is about and that's why it's titled the way that it is um first of all uh, i understand that a lot of people have been having a lot of strong and sensitive conversations uh with their white friends or with their black friends and i want to commend you for that because uh, it's important to have conversations and i really believe that that's the only way that things are going to actually get better in this country is if we actually do have conversations when we talk about how we feel and talk about 
our perception of things, the way we see things, the, the culture today and the, the climate that we're in, the, the, the deaths and killings that are happening, and the response from um, the world, because the world is responding right now. It's not just the black community that's responding. The world is responding. There's protests and there's demonstrations all over the world, everywhere, um, that's sparked by uh, George Floyd. And, and unfortunately, since his death, there have, there have been several others. And I don't know if you know it or not, but maybe just start paying attention and see how often you know this stuff is happening and, and how things go unreported or some things just get washed over because you know something might be more traumatic than others. Whatever the case may be, a life is a life, right? So um, there, there's plenty of things that are happening in the world today, and obviously we can't fight against them all, we can't prevent them all, but we can have conversations with each other that would hopefully spark uh, a, a new appreciation for each other and a, a sense of personal responsibility uh, to one another, just as human beings, if nothing else. Uh, I know that's a mouthful and, and a lot to unpack, but uh, in short, and as succinct as I can make it, I, that's my hope with these conversations. Um, I, I, I wanted to touch on uh, one thing. I wrote down this note <laughs> that there's a big difference between white guilt and being an advocate. I know there's a lot of people that I've heard it over and over again. I'm running out of white guilt. I can't keep feeling bad about this. Um, and to those people, I say, well, go ahead and let your white guilt go. And I know you may, <laughs> that might give you pause, like, hold on, Michael, don't, don't say that, or what do you mean by that? Uh, I understand that guilt can be a very good motivator for a lot of things, you know, for people to change a lot of things. But... Uh, if that's your motive for having conversations because you feel guilty of whatever you've done or things that you've said in the past, that guilt's only going to last you so long. But to be an advocate for someone else takes a decision to love and takes a decision to, um, to stand up, be accountable, and have a sense of responsibility for your fellow man. And I think that's more of a greater motivator. You know, I I believe in advocates. And a lot of the conversations that are happening in the black community today from those who are large voices, I've been hearing them thanking their advocates. Because not everybody here is black, right? I mean, we make up 13% of the U.S. population, that's all. But all white people aren't bad. All Asians aren't bad. All Mexicans aren't bad. Whatever. You fill in the blank. Nobody is all bad. Nobody is 100% bad. And it would be completely wrong for any black person to lump all white people into one big old category. Um, even though that's been done to us for so many years. It would be wrong to reciprocate that. But I, I've heard many black leaders, community leaders, thank their white advocates 
Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for having the conversations with us. Thank you for standing up for us and our rights when our white our rights were um, taken away or infringed upon. And I think that the ability to do that speaks volumes of the level of healing a person has. And it should be modeled by the black community. It should be modeled by all of us. The fact is, is that so in the case of women's bodies, when it comes down to abortion or women's rights to their bodies, there are a lot of men that stand up for these women. They don't know what it's like to men don't know what it's like to abort a baby. Men don't know what it's like to um, have a monthly cycle, to bleed out your VJ, to have the emotional hormones, the highs of pregnancy and the lows of not being pregnant. Men don't understand that and cannot even begin to uh, put words to those emotions and those experiences. But men can stand up and be an advocate for women and say, no, I'm going to use my vote to help out my sister, my mother, my, my aunt, whatever, the females in my life. I'm going to use my vote to assist them so that they maintain the right to do whatever it is that they feel is right with their bodies. That male is an advocate. And there are plenty of white people out there and people of other races that have stood up next to black people and said, no, I don't understand what it's like to be a slave. I don't know what it's like to come from a family that has its roots in slavery. I don't know what it's like. I don't know what it's like to live segregated or have to drink from a separate drinking fountain or what it's like to you know, be discriminated against just because of the color of my skin. But I believe it's wrong. I'm willing to have that conversation and I'm willing to assist and be a help in the conversation as much as I can. To those people, we say thank you because there are many of you that are out there. There are many of you that are out there that have decided to read history and to read books and to educate yourself on the history and, and, and why black people feel the way that they feel. And, and I'm, I'm going to get to Juneteenth, but the fact is, is that there are, uh, this is still fresh for us. A lot of it is still fresh. And it's stories that have been passed down and passed down that, um, that are fresh. I mean, for years, I still had a great grandmother that was still alive. You know, um, my grandmother just passed. Uh, my dad's mom, she was in her 80s. Um, she grew up in a time that was that was brutal. Um, to say the least. Anyway, Juneteenth. What is it about? What is Juneteenth about? Um, and I had talked about this a little bit in a podcast before. Um, Juneteenth is June 19th 
It's a celebration of June 19th, 1865, when um, General Gordon Granger made it to Galveston, Texas, and read Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation at the end of the Civil War. And this proclamation freed the slaves and declared that all the slaves not only are free, but have equal right and equal um, ability to, uh, with the freedoms that there are, they have equal freedom, equal rights, ability to own land and to go into partnerships with people and I guess the way it's quoted or the way that he says it in there is the relationship should now be considered employer and employee. Um, no longer slaves. Believe it or not, that, that language is in there. Um, that was a huge celebration. Many uh, blacks walked off the plantations started heading north or started heading, you know, uh, well, they all started in <laughs> uh, Galveston, Texas is pretty south. Uh, anyway, they were part of the Confederate, obviously, right? Um, they started going north. They started going to other places like Louisiana and Alabama, other southern states, but looking for their family members that they had been separated from so that they can reunite. And it's one of the major things that Juneteenth is all about, is reunited with, re reuniting with family. It's about celebration of freedom, reuniting with family, and trying to gain some aspect of identity for yourself. So there's a lot of education that happens around Juneteenth. You get together, you tell stories, you, you talk about the thing, the, the way that things were. And you talk about the way that you want things to be. You dream together. You plan together. And you strategize on what to do in order to make yourself better. Whether that's education or employment or starting a business or whatever. These are the conversations that you have around June 19th. Juneteenth in the black community. What can we do to become stronger? How can we rally together and unite so that we can have our own identity? Not a, so yeah, you have to keep in mind that when when the slave ships came to western side of Africa and picked up their their slaves, started taking them all over the world. North America, South America, um the islands. It was black people that were taken all these different places. They were taken away from their culture. They were taken away from their families and all of it was stripped from them. They weren't allowed to speak their own languages. They weren't allowed to read or to write or to educate themselves. And what freedom meant for black people was that all of these things that we weren't allowed to do now it's our time to do that. Now it's our time to get that back. It's time for us to educate ourselves. To learn to read and to write 
and to grab hold of some semblance of our of our culture. Take back some ownership of who we are, not to just be told who we are or what we are, but to take ownership of our own identity. So I already feel like I've been going too long and I've barely gotten through any of my notes here. So June 19th, Juneteenth, uh, 1865, Gordon Granger, Galveston, uh, Texas, declares that the war is over, slaves are free. Here's a crazy part. Abraham Lincoln made the Emancipation Proclamation over two and a half years earlier than that, January 1st of 1863. There's a bunch of different um, theories as to why it took over two and a half years for the message to get to Texas. Texas just happened to be the last stronghold of the Civil War. Uh, General Lee um, had uh, surrendered in April of 1865. It took him that long to, to surrender. But even in April 1865, you would have thought that that proclamation would have been declared to Galveston, Texas. It, it wasn't. It still took two additional months before uh, Gordon Granger arrived to actually give it. So one of the theories is that they wanted to give the Union armies, part of the Union armies, this guy in particular, was willing to let Texas have you know a little bit more time so that they can reap the next cotton harvest. That's one theory. It's false. Um, but it is one thing that's believed. Uh, another one is that the original messenger that was supposed to deliver the message was killed en route. He wasn't, uh, you know, some southern soldiers um, caught him up and saw that he was delivering a message and killed him before his message was ever received or, or given. Um the fact is, is that the war was still going on and um, and the, the, the Union forces were depleted and barely hanging on um, down there in Texas. Um, and so it, it took a while. That's the thing that's generally believed, um, that it was just a good fight in Texas. But obviously, um, they were the long strong, they were, they were the last stronghold. And um, and thankfully they lost, even though in the South they don't want to believe a lot of the South don't want to believe that they lost. But you still got Confederate flags that are out there. And, and it's absolutely amazing. We keep talking about this. These these flags, they, they stand for something. Right. Um, they stand for this rebellion against. Um, against the nation, against Abraham Lincoln, against his proclamation. Because they really wanted to hang on to slaves that bad. And I know a lot of people don't believe that that's the reason. The fact is, is that's what history teaches us. That is the reason. Um, so it took two and a half years, and that sucked. Um, but black people are very resilient, and they, they did what they had to do. Um... What else? 
So, ways to celebrate. We celebrate typically uh, June 19th, Juneteenth, with just a good old-fashioned barbecue. And I know that sounds funny. <laughs> I know that uh, some people are, uh, will, will listen to that and say, well, you know, isn't that kind of stereotypical? Maybe it is. But the fact is, is that um, during the time of the early celebrations of Juneteenth, you got to remember, these slaves, they didn't have nothing. When they were declared free, what a lot of them did, they immediately left the plantation. Some of them took some stuff, though, before they did. A lot of them took clothes from their masters, from their former masters. And part of the celebration of Juneteenth, because they didn't have anything of their own, right? Born naked, leaving with rags on. Um, what they would do is they would take their ragged clothes, because it was against the law to let them have anything nice. They would take their master's clothes. They would dump their rags and burn them, or they would... Um, dump them in the river or something like that. They would do some kind of celebration of their freedom with their clothes. And then they would dress in the fancy clothes that they got from the uh, former slave masters. And um, so it was a pretty dressy event and still maintained to be a very dressy event to dress up, to look nice, be polished, representing you know, getting rid of the old rags and, and becoming a new person. Uh, for a lot of states, they'll have parades. Believe it or not, and, and I know it sounded really, really bad about Texas. Uh, Texas actually is one of the first states to institute, uh, to make it a state holiday. So it's actually, a, Juneteenth is actually a state holiday in Texas. And for the first several years, several decades, uh, people migrated back to Texas to actually celebrate Juneteenth. It was a, it was an event that they actually celebrated in person back in Galveston. So, um, so kudos to Texas for making it a state holiday, because like I said, it's not a state holiday everywhere. And a lot of black people don't even, you know, celebrate it anymore. Uh, there was a lot of stuff that went into it. So over the decades, obviously black people are free. But there's still a lot of racism. There's still a lot of hatred towards blacks. There's still a lot of um, lynchings and killings and organizations that get together as hate groups and march and do all of this stuff, right? Early 1900s. Uh, so what they would do is black people would they would they didn't have anything right black people are just starting to get land you know so if you had somebody that has some land in the south what they would do is they would uh, they would have everybody down at their land and somewhere per particularly close to a lake or a river or something like that because fishing is a major part of it um, that's a major part of the celebration as well they would fish they would barbecue um, a lot of their previous owners slave owners would um, believe it or not, a lot of them would bring food. They would donate meats 
um, in honor of the celebration. Um, employers, they would donate things, foods, beverages, whatever. And so the a lot of the, the meat that they had for barbecues was given to them or hunted themselves. You know, they, they would hunt the food or go fishing for it. You think of a typical black barbecue. This is what the Juneteenth celebration was and is. They played music. They played lawn games, games in the grass. They ate, they drank, they fished. Believe it or not, they rode horses. You know, um, they did like parades, little mini rodeos, competitions. All to celebrate their freedom, all the things that they never were allowed to do. When they had to work from sunup to sundown. On the things that they did on Juneteenth, a celebration, doing it for each other and for their freedom. Um, I'm going to end with a poem about Juneteenth. Um, that's it's a it's a very, very beautiful poem written by uh, Christina Kay. Uh, but before I. And it's the official Juneteenth poem that's up on the official Juneteenth.com website. And I'll put that in the uh, show notes. But a, a couple things that I want to encourage you to do in honor of Juneteenth. And if you're willing to be an advocate for black people and the plight and the, the things that black people have gone through, you want to have a better understanding of your history. There's a couple places you could go. One thing I found, um, it's a, it's part of the New York Times magazine. Last year, I don't know if you remember, and maybe you do, in 2019, uh, this time, last year, um, in commemoration of 400 years, the 400-year mark of when slaves first stood uh, or first were taken from Western Africa to North America, uh, that that happened, believe it or not, as far back as 1619. And so this is called the 1619 Project. Look it up. It's done by New York Times Magazine. It is a beautiful piece of art. It is black authors, poets. Uh, they have written poetry and articles on various topics that have to do with slavery and our history and what makes um, uh, or the, the country that we live in, racism and biases and all of that stuff. It's, it's very, very, um, it's, it's an amazing read. Check it out. It's called The 1619 Project, and I'll put a link to it, uh, to that in the show notes as well. But it's, you read something like this and it will be great conversation starters that you can have with your black or white friends. Okay. Um, the other thing is the middle passage by Tom feelings. The middle passage is literally artwork. Um, when he was trying to put together, you know, a book of stories and reading history about the slave trade, the middle passage of course, is that passage between 
Western Africa and North America. So it would take, you know, anywhere between a month to three months to sail from Western Africa to North America or South America or Central America or wherever they were going to the Virgin Islands, to Jamaica, to Bahamas, wherever slaves were taken everywhere. Everywhere you see black people now is where slaves were, were taken, unfortunately. Uh, um, so he reads or he he had a problem. He tried his best to communicate the history in an unbiased way as much as possible, and he couldn't. And so he decided to draw it. And that's what the middle passage is about. It's about his art, his drawings um, that really tell the story. And obviously there's words as well, but um, his goal was to communicate the story in as few words as possible and let his art speak for himself. It's just something very cool that you can look up. Um, it might bring you to tears, but the fact is, is that it's a brutal history, right? Um, Africans were herded into these ships and put into bellies of ships and they were chained ankle to ankle, hand to hand. Um, and remember that this passage was anywhere between a month to three months it would take to get from port to port. A lot of people died just in transit. There's stories of sharks that would swim behind the boats because black people that were sick, the Africans that were sick or diseased because they were laying all down there in their own feces and urine for three months, they would die. They would die of infections because they would get whipped. They would die from diseases because they're in their own feces. Um, they would die from dehydration because they would just have water thrown on them they weren't taken care of. They had minimal food. Food gets thrown down there to the belly of the boat of the ship because it stunk so bad from all the urine and feces that the smell would be coming up to the top deck. So nobody wanted to be down there unless there was a mutiny happening or something like that. And even then, you know, you, you get the troublemakers, you pull them up. And you shoot them, or you stab them, or whatever, and then you throw them overboard. Um, a lot of the women were raped on those ships. And when they arrive to North America or wherever they were going, they showed up pregnant because they were raped. They would literally take a, a pretty African girl and wash her up and give her some food give her some water, and then pass her around. Because, of course, you get horny when you're on a boat for three months and all you're doing is looking at other dudes. Like, it's... It's part of our history. And, um... It's hard to talk about. It's hard to read. It's hard to hear. But it's the truth. It's the truth of what has happened. They estimate that around 60 million Africans were stolen from West Africa. 
and brought by ship to North or South America or wherever they went. And less than a third actually survived. So, um, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot. When this thing was over, um, you had, of course, generations upon generations of, of blacks that were born in the U.S. Hundreds of years of slavery, folks. From 1619 to 1865. Okay. It's a long time for one people to be um, enslaved. And then after 1865, you had another hundred years of racism and violence and segregation and Jim Crow laws. This is after slavery. hundred years after slavery, you still have all of this shit going on, right? And here we are now in 2020. And you still have the KKK marching on Washington saying, let's take back and regain America because apparently they've lost something. What do they lose? We're making America great again. What, what, what does that mean? Where are we going back to? What time are we going back to? Because the last almost 400 years, well, yeah, the last 400 years, um, have sucked for black people. They've been terrible. Um, Martin Luther King was shot in the 60s. So was Malcolm X. And believe it or not, they're pretty much the only ones that most history books that are taught in our schools today talk about. They don't talk about Frederick Douglass or Madam C.J. Walker. Barely even talk about George Washington Carver. Let alone the countless black slaves that had to fight in this civil war for their own freedom. Fighting blacks against blacks. North against south. All right. Okay, um, to the poem. It's a short poem. That way I can shut up. And because uh, I know this is heavy, but you know, it's getting, it's getting, it's getting kind of heavy. It's getting. Uh, anyway, the official Juneteenth poem is called "We Rose," and it reads from Africa's heart. We rose. Already a people, our faces ebon. Our bodies lean, we rose. Skills of art, life, beauty, and family. Crushed by forces we knew nothing of, we rose. Survive we must, we did, we rose. We rose to be you, we rose to be me. Above everything expected, we rose. To become the knowledge we never knew, we rose. Dream, we did. Act, we must. 
we rose. That's the official Juneteenth poem. And it's moving. And it's, it's touching. And it says a lot. I'll link it in the show notes. We appreciate everybody that listens. Your attention means the world to us. Happy Juneteenth, world. And um, whether you're black or just an advocate to black people, we appreciate you. And um, you can check out our website and get all of our previous shows at unchurchedpodcast.show. Email us at Michael or Sean at unchurchedpodcast.show. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Hey, listen, we love you a long time. So long, we love you. Peace.